This is Existential, the podcast that reminds us that we're human first before we're anything else. And from that place, we can hear each other's stories and experiences as we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. Existential, I have two guests with me today who are the host of the Speaking of Racism podcast. I've actually had both of them on before. First, I had Jen, and then I had Tina. I am a huge fan of their work, and then there's people. They're like my sisters, so I invited them to come join me on the podcast to talk about all that is happening in the world, which is so much stuff, well, especially here in America, where I guess I'll start with you, Tina, because you're not even in America right now. You um, you have a plan that you were telling me about um, that you are currently working on. And let me say this before you even speak to that. I actually, I think it was you and one other person, you know, the first per- first people, first black folks in America that, like, led me to think about, wait a minute, like, is, is America, like, not really the best place for us to live? Like, where it was never a part of my thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, I always thought, like, America's got problems, but, like, you know, this is where I was born, it's where I live, it's, you know, we still have freedom of speech, and blah, blah, blah. But, like, you know, it's been interesting the last couple of, of months, probably the last couple of years, with the notion of, like, is America actually... Uh, um, you know, the best place that black folks can live. So, Tina, I imagine you got some thoughts on that because you are not here in America right now. That's correct. So there is a term called Blacksit. And what I want to share with your listeners um, is that Blacksit refers to the resurgence, the phenomenon of the resurgence of black Americans leaving, exiting, moving abroad out of the United States to escape racism, among other reasons, right? Um, We already know that Black folks have a very complex relationship with the United States. And I don't think that I would be stretching it to say that that we... I don't think I'm the only black person that has said, well, I know I'm not the only black person that has said, many many black folk can relate to thinking and feeling like, man, I just wanna get out of here. I can't do this anymore. We have this, we, we've especially talked about this recently with all of the, the onslaught of anti-black violence that this country is experiencing in this particular moment. That while it's not new, it is tremendously present in 2020, in the middle of a global pandemic, as we are preparing for the the, the, the elections coming up in a couple of, of weeks. Mm-hmm. And so for me, my initial questions that began several years ago about what would it even look like to live out of the United States? I don't know anything about living abroad, um, not to mention a very common conception, uh, the, the, the perception that well, the reality, the truth that anti-Black racism and violence is global. Mm-hmm. However, there's no racism quite like American racism. Mm. And so I simply found myself saying, I need, I'm need. i ready to, to leave. What do I need to do? 
I started on the process of beginning to look into it, research it, see who else is doing it. And what I learned is that this, again, it's not a new phenomenon. Um, black folks leaving for safety, for freedom, to be able to live a life of dignity um, is common in the U.S. We think about the Great Migration. Um, we we can talk about James Baldwin, what it's called, it has been referred to as the James Baldwin and Josephine Baker effect as well. Mm. So that's what I have begun, my Blackset journey that I'm calling Are We Free Yet? And that is my new project that I will be sharing, documenting, chronicling my experience as a queer Black American woman who is wanting to discover for myself what it looks like and feels like to be free. Mm. And I'm not suggesting that that is definitely someplace out of the U.S. What I am suggesting going into this project is all I know for sure is what it feels like to be Black in America in 2020. I would like to know what it feels like to be Black outside of the country. Um, mm-hmm. So that's why I'm in Jamaica. Mm. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that is um, powerful. And, it's, and you're right. It, there's a long history of, of, of that ideology, of the, of the notion that, like, okay, should we... It's to fight, flight, or freeze. Mm-hmm. That we find ourselves in, in micro, uh, in micro, in micro ways. Like so, we had Jacob Blake, who, you know, Julie and I were having the conversation about why was he walking away. And you see that as a black person in America, when you encounter the police, you have this sort of moment of fight, flight, or freeze. I'm, I'm threatened. So what am I going to do? Am I going to fight back? Am I going to flee or do I freeze? And I think looking at it from a macro level, looking at like just the the entire scope of blackness in America, we are all sort of faced with that Mm -hmm. of of, do I flee the country? Do I fight the country or do I am I just paralyzed? Am I just frozen here? And and I don't know that there is a um, a for for 50, 60 years we've been having the conversation to what's best. What's the best way to deal with it? You know, and so, even longer, even longer. And I, I think it's important to acknowledge that you have an alarm going off. That I, I just know that alarm. Okay, it's off now. My bad. <laughs> My ringer is off, though, Corey. <laughs> I apologize. That was Jen. That was Jen texting you an amen. Um, it's no, it's me sitting here thinking. Don't worry, I can edit that out. No. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Tina. It's it's important to acknowledge that this moving out of the country is not the answer for everyone. Um, And it wasn't the answer for me for a long time until it was, until I began to just dig a little bit deeper and say, why do I not even, what are all the obstacles that come up when I think about leaving the U.S.? And what if I start to just address those one by one and, and see if I can come to a different place? And I did. Yeah. And so, Jen, you work with Tina. You've been, um, so just to catch the listeners up on Existential, Jen was my second ever guest on the podcast. And we did the, uh, we, we called, called the episode Get Your People. And yeah. at that time, um, you were, you were starting to, um, uh, make a transition with the Speaking of Racism podcast to bring Tina on uh, as partner in that. 
I, I find that whole dynamic to be really interesting, right? That like you as a white woman were engaged in anti-racism work, but felt like, um, if, as far as I understand and correct me if I'm wrong, felt like you you needed to kind of take a backseat to someone black in doing that work. Like what, what all went into your thinking when it came to like saying, okay, I'm, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, but I don't want to center myself and I'm also getting some pushback, some valid, some that I don't even know that I buy into, but it ultimately led to you saying, I want to do something different. Yeah. So the when I started the podcast, I had absolutely no understanding of how podcasts worked, how social media worked. I didn't understand influencers, Instagram, none of that. Ironically, because two years later now, we've got a platform that has... I think it's like 57,000 followers at this point. And so when I started the podcast, I'm just like, hey, I'm going to have conversations with friends and people that I connect with. I want to hear their stories and have these discussions. And in having those discussions, for me, it was more about sitting and listening and learning and giving people a place to just share their stories and share, you know, about their work. And uh, it quickly developed into more. But the entire time I was doing it, I really felt like, one, I can't be a white woman, you know, positioning myself as an educator. I can't be positioning myself as an expert. I'm even uncomfortable with people seeing my face, you know, as the platform started to grow. And, um, and, and there was always this tension that I felt. So I met Tina, she came on to talk about her now legacy trips to the lynching memorial and legacy museum. And we really hit it off and we did a couple more episodes and just had a great chemistry. And, and there came this point where it was clear to me that I needed to change something. The uh, platform was getting really big. The podcast was getting really big. And I really wanted to um, shift either the name of it and the focus of it or remove myself from it. But I couldn't find anybody who would want to take over the podcast. And I remember even talking to Tina and she was like, I absolutely have no interest in taking over a podcast or platform or anything. And so it's yeah. ironic because the natural course was to do that. But then I had asked her if she would consider coming on as a co-host and she did. And the long story short, you know, she just came to me and was like, Hey, if we're really going to be behind this ethic of um, black leadership, ownership, et cetera, I really feel like I need to take ownership of this. And how do you feel about that? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. This is a no brainer to me because I never felt like I owned it. These were just stories that I was sort of using, like showcasing in a sense, yeah. Yeah. Um, using the platform to showcase. And so I always viewed it as this communal thing. And I would use the the term our, even though you know, it was me kind of like the Wizard of Oz behind the um, the curtain, you know, doing the editing and, and posting posts and, and gathering people and having conversations. Um, so, yeah, so it never felt like something I own. And it was very easy to just say, yeah, this is awesome. It's amazing. Yeah. And then to where we are today. Yeah, the dynamic is really interesting to me that to just watching what you guys are doing with the podcast, because looking at a at a white cisgendered woman and a, uh, a black um, queer woman that are engaged in work together. And what I find to be interesting is 
there's like a dynamic with race and anti-racism work where I feel like a lot of white folks have a hard time finding their place. And so some folks, because of that, tend to like will run away from the work. We'll go, well, you know, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to do the wrong thing. I don't want to offend anybody. Um, you know, it seems like I can't win for losing. And you guys, I imagine, have to work through that tension. So could you both kind of speak? I don't care who does who goes first, um, but you both kind of speak to like that dynamic of the tension that is exists in like, okay, you know, race, racism is white people's job to fix, but it's not your job, Jen, to be the face of this anti-racism podcast. So there's this like tension there that you guys have, or, or I'm not even, I'm not, I, I don't imagine you figured it out, but I'm sure you're working through it. It's a relationship that Jen and I have, right? So as Jen mentioned, I first came on to the podcast as a guest, and then she and I hit it off and got to know one another. Um, as we began to build trust, mm. and I began to allow myself to, to get to know Jen in a way that I was observing her anti-racism journey in her process. And while we didn't know each other very long, I feel like we knew each other maybe a sem- three, four, five months before she approached me, um, asking me to first, again, you know, take over the podcast, and that was a no. And then the question was, well, will you come on as a co-host? And then I was like, yes. But then it became very quickly clear that I needed to communicate to Jen that it's important, black ownership and black leadership is a foundational principle and pillar in my life, not just in anti-racism work, just in general anyway, but especially in anti-racism work. And if that is the same, if, if she's in alignment with that belief, then we do need to make this a Black-owned and Black-led podcast. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how this is going to look. So it was also, it was, yes, while she agreed to it immediately, we both had to be very honest with one another and vulnerable in saying, we're going to be making this up as we go along because we have not experienced or seen any other podcast dynamic like, like this one, right? Where you have a white person who started a podcast, created it, um, and then invites me to come on as a co-lead and then turns around and I acquire it, right? We haven't seen that. We see white folks that have platforms about anti-racism. We see a white and a black person together that are sharing the responsibilities and co-leading it. Um, And so for us to do this was incredibly... I'm going to call us brave, Jen. I'm, I'm going to say we decided we decided to take the risk to work together to bring the, the a, com, a community together that would reflect some of the things that we have learned on our personal anti-racism journeys, and so that's how we've been hmm. operating. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like when it when it all started to happen for me, it was 
exciting isn't a great word, but there was uh, like, there was this excitement for me that we were doing something that was different and that was truly living into that work of anti-racism because people talk about it day in and day out. But where do you actually see and where do you have the opportunity to see people working together in this way? And then also being willing to say, we're not perfect. We're not sure. We're figuring this out. We may make mistakes, right? Like that is the antithesis in a sense of that perfectionism that comes from white supremacy that says, if you don't do this the right way, you are a failure. You are causing harm beyond repair. And oftentimes that is what keeps people on the sidelines from doing what they feel called to. Um, So I was really excited to see how that went. And then the whole time for me, I have had to be very open. And the thing that I've told Tina time and time again is the minute you need me to step away from this, I will step away from this. This isn't about me, right? Like, If there is a reason that you think I should be involved in this, if there's a value that I can provide having, you know, my presence there, then fine. But if not, no hard feelings, you know, no problem. So we've really held that open as well in terms of what does the future hold for speaking of racism, right? And something else that we've held is and where we've come to and where I've come to is a place that, that I believe is the same spirit, comes from the same spirit in which Jen began the podcast, that I felt was a commonality and a theme throughout all of the episodes before I came on board and acquired it, and now, of course, since, which is that this podcast doesn't just belong to Tina and Jen, or this podcast doesn't belong to Jen, and this podcast doesn't belong to Tina. It belongs to the community of folks committing to show up in anti-racist ways. And so what we have now shifted to is a, more of a a structure that has, um, and we've created an advisory board. So now we've got almost 10 other black and brown indigenous folks. We do have a couple of white allies helping as well that um, are assisting us, you being one of those, and we're really grateful. Yeah, one of the white allies or on the advisory board? You're on one of the people on the advisory board. <laughs> so, <Corey>. listen, <laughs> I, am, um, I am super interested in this notion of you trusting each other. Um, I, I am not a, uh, I, I fi- I'm discovering I'm not a very trusting person. I, I, I'm finding that about, out about myself more and more. Um, Tina, I guess for me, I would ask you directly, why do you trust Jen? First, because I trust myself. Mm. Mm. That is good. Mm. Mm. Yeah, we got to let that breathe for a while. Don't even, we have to breathe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love that. First, because you trust yourself. My relationships with the white folks in my life has also been complex. <laughs> so there's been a lot of, I, I've been heartbroken by my white friends before, absolutely. So even coming into a relationship with Jen in the first place, for me, there was, there was and still is 
a tremendous amount of hesitation and there's some resistance. And so as I'm doing my own personal spiritual work, I'm better able to identify the when the resistance comes up so I can name it, so I can sit with it, so I can kind of examine it and go deeper and figure out what is it about. Um, as well as the fact that Jen, I remember Jen said this to me last year. I feel like we were maybe planning for some things for the podcast. And Jen referenced this term, and I'm not sure where it comes from. So Jen, share that with me. Moving at the speed of trust. Mm. So I have been honest with Jen about how I have been heartbroken by some of the white people in my life that I have loved through the years. And then I don't even know how to approach a relationship with her. Um, so all I can do is come into it um, being honest and, and having my reservation. And if she's willing to, uh, to do what she said as far as moving at the speed of trust, then I feel that I can agree to participate in that. And I think that's, that that's what it's been for me. That's that's and and as Jen and I have continued to get to know one another, and as things have come up and, and arisen, because they have, where I have had to, or, and and where she, where she and I have had to have a conversation that was difficult, or you know, many we've had several. I feel like that have been a little difficult, and yet because we are committed to seeing the humanity in one another. Mm-hmm it allows for us to move through it and to feel through it and recognize that just because if we get something wrong, if something feels uncomfortable, which is gonna happen a lot, can we come together and say how let's work through this? And that's what we've been doing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, I'm hearing you say that, first, when I hear you say that I trust, you trust Jen because you first trust yourself, I'm hearing you say, that I can handle whatever comes, that like I trust that it's it's probably going to be some messiness involved, but I can get through that. I trust I trust my ability to manage that. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the speed of trust thing, uh, Jen. I think that's I don't know. Well, you can tell us where you got that from, but I, I want well, you can tell us where you got that from. But I also want to ask you because one of the things that I admire most about you is that you just keep showing up, like that you in these very messy. Um, Oftentimes, I think difficult for white folks to endure times and moments. You just keep showing up um, and accepting like criticism and um, you know and misunderstanding and all of it. You continue to show up and and I I just you know I want to know why <laughs> why you do because ultimately, Jen, if the world doesn't change. You're not the one talking about, you know, leaving the country. You don't. You don't have to. There's no threat to you, um, as a white woman. Not, you know, I shouldn't say no threat to you, but like when it comes to your race, there's not like this threat of of anti-whiteness, you know, to you. So for right. you to continue to show up and 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 do anti-racism work, like what in the world keeps you coming back to this? Yeah. So this has been something that I've had a hard time actually communicating until recently. And my husband helped me see this because, you know, it's just I put one foot in front of the other. and I I keep doing what I feel is uh, right, what I feel called to. 
And what it really comes down to is I've spent years and years of my life deconstructing whiteness and unlearning so many of the things that create that context of identity. And over these years, I have developed very deep relationships and friendships with friends, with, with an entire community, with my neighborhood, with, um, I have family members who are black. And so for me, like you had said something the other day, actually on another episode of your podcast, Corey, where you were talking about how, like, if there's no like skin in the game, so to speak, people don't stay in the game, right? Like what, what do white people have to gain by being in this work? And I think that's part of the reason we see a lot of performative work because maybe there's some shame that motivates them. Maybe there's, you know, like I want to be a good white person that motivates them. But for me, like I love people who are impacted by anti-blackness and by white supremacy and racism. And so to me, there isn't like, this isn't an option. I do wake up every day and I could decide that I absolutely don't have to do this another day of my life. And I could walk out my front door and, and not be impacted by it. Right? Like that's a reality of my privilege. And yet like, it's just not an option to me. I am invested heavily in this idea of co-liberation in understanding that my liberation is bound up with your liberation and knowing that I'm not going to rest until that happens. Mm. 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 Yeah. Now, as you're talking, I remember um, the exact reason why I wanted to have you guys on the podcast. Other than like there, there was a specific question I knew I wanted to ask but I just knew that I wanted to talk to y'all on air, if you will. I hate, I feel really like strange when saying on air, like I'm doing a radio show. But there well, is this live, are. there is this live red, red, red button that has a countdown going. So, and we're looking at each other. So it kind of does a feel fancy like microphone. You do have a really fancy <laughs> microphone, you know. So this does feel very officially like like the Breakfast Club, right? <laughs> but I wanted to ask. Um, about this thing that keeps coming up. And I'm not going to say her name because those of you who have been following me for a while, you know, I don't, uh, I don't speak of her. But there are black folks out there who are um, every bit as anti-black as, you know, Donald Trump. And they, they say things, and then you have white folks who share their stuff. I, I want to, I've had people ask me, and I really haven't, even come up with great answers for how you, especially for you, Jen, as a white woman, engage in conversations with black folks who are presenting anti-blackness. So Tina, of course, I mean, I don't care which one of you speaks to it, but I'm just, I'm curious to know if you guys have any thoughts on that that could help people out there who are going, yeah, especially white folks that are like, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, I'm with you. But like, there's these black folks over here saying stuff that like, I don't, I don't feel like it's my place to, to combat. Does that make sense? Tina, yes. you're making a face. Tina's making a face at me. This is why I like doing this in the studio because Tina's making a face. Right. So I want to make sure it makes sense <laughs> what I'm asking you. Well, I'll go if you're okay with that. And because this is something that I really have to wrestle with because I get this a lot. Um, and, and where I've come down is like, 
she who shall not be named shall not be named. And I've watched many of her videos and I have people who still send them to me to this day, which is amazing to me. But um, I will not speak publicly on a platform or to other people in a way that is going to badmouth another black man or woman. I could maybe say, hey, here's a point that I was just hearing about the other day. Somebody said this, and this is my retort to that, and this is what I would say to that. Um, but I do have friends, I do have black friends who are on the conservative spectrum and who um, definitely would be in that camp. And I can have those conversations relationally with them, but that's with them one-on-one, -on -one, right? There's a, there's a relationship there, and there's a bit of a nuance there for me. But in terms of, like, speaking out against particular people, I'm not going to do that because that does perpetuate white supremacy. And so when I do see white brothers and sisters who do that, I will hit them up in the DMs and just say, look. Like, this is white supremacy, and I know that that's not what you intend to perpetrate, but there are other ways to approach this. So take mm -hmm. the points that you're hearing, take the points that you have issues with, and go into the conversation from that standpoint. Mm. Mm. My answer to how do you engage with the Black folk who are on the more conservative side, um, I don't. That's my answer. <laughs> I, I and that goes for black folks and white folks on the conservative. Like I, I'm not, and not that I won't engage with them in any conversation. Period. However, because of the way that I move in the world, I, I think that those folks aren't attracted to me anyway. So we won't be having conversations because we won't. There's a, a lot of levels. N only political being only one of them, there, there's a lot of other levels where we don't even, we're just going to be missing one another and it doesn't do anyone. It, we're not, I'm not at an age anymore where I'm um, arguing with anybody about anything. Sure. Yeah. So with that said, I will, I will agree with Jen as far as now, if it's someone that I'm in relationship with, that's a different conversation. And I will have difficult conversations and engage with people that I, that are in community with me, but to a point still, I, I just am not arguing with anybody for any reason. Yeah. 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 Same. I feel you. I, I, I wonder, um, if, cause when, when you talk, Jen, you mentioned the word, um, uh, I think you said conservative, or I don't know what you said, something, like, something to that effect when it came to your, your black friend, that's, um, tends to, align more with the thoughts of, you know, that person. Um, and I just, when, back in 2016, I felt like you could have voted for the current president for, like, um, good reason. You know, like, at least, at least understandable reasons, I should say. There were people whose deep uh, convictions were, so conservative about you know issues that they felt really strongly about that I could go okay like like I like all right you know you know and, and people didn't love Hillary moving into this election though like I, I don't know how y'all feel about it but I'm having a hard time finding a like 
understanding part of my brain for the person who says, I'm a decent moral human being. God, I feel like I'm wandering in some, some troubled water, but I'm a decent moral human being and I can go to the ballot box and support what's been happening the last four years. Like I, I'm still wanting to fall short of saying that voting for this person again is immoral, but I don't know. Are you guys in the same boat? Like, do you, do you stop short of it or do you go all the way over into like the, the like, the hell are you thinking? Like, of course you cannot uh, be a supporter and go to the ballot box and vote for this person and consider yourself a moral person. Hope that makes sense. Yeah, I'm no longer interested in convincing anyone that Donald Trump is an immoral or um, inadequate, incapable, um, unstable. I'm not interested in having those arguments anymore. And I say anymore because I feel like I've been heavily engaged in them since he was inaugurated in January of 2017. As a matter of fact, I remember that I feel like the whole year of 2017, all I did was obsess over how much I hated Trump. That's all I, I that's all I did. So much so that I remember that I had to, I made an intentional decision in 2018 to not mention his name one time in the whole year. And I didn't, I didn't post about him anymore because I started to shift. I recognized that I was starting to come, why am I obsessed with this person, this, you know, okay, so yes, he's the president right now. When the, he's not the, the cause, he's not the root of the problem. He's not the cause of the problem. He is simply an effect of, of the, the system itself. And you can put, he can stay in office or he can move. And the racist systems that, and the oppressive structures are still gonna remain. So maybe I not focus on him as a person and start focusing on everyone around me. Now, that was what I did for a couple of years, focusing on everyone around me. So now this is where the conversation, the arguments were coming in. So I spent 2018, 2019 doing some arguing. It is 2020. I'm not arguing anymore. So I don't, if, if that's their moral compass, I am at, you know, Jen and I talked about this recently, whereas 2017 and 18, Tina, wasn't unfriending anyone because I was subscribing to the idea that if I unfriend these racist or conservative or Trump supporting people, then they're not going to ever hear the truth or, or this other side. So I have some type of obligation to keep these types of folks in my circle. Um, I'm not there anymore. I'm, I'm unfriending. I'm feeling fabulous about it. Like that's another part of, are we free yet? I recognize that some, I, I don't have to, I don't have to convince. And this is just, and this is my personal choice because I'm choosing myself now. I recognize that the years that I have spent these past couple of years, just during this administration, the time and the years that I have spent arguing, fighting, trying to get um, progressives and um, trying to get the right folks um, into office, like all of those things, I'm going to worry about me. I'm going to vote in, in, in a way that I feel I need to, and I'm I'm not arguing with people about basic human decency. Mm -hmm. I'm not arguing with people about humanity anymore. Mm. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is this is a challenging season for all of this, and I would say for myself, 
to kind of piggyback off of some of what Tina was saying, I spent a lot of time arguing with people who have absolutely zero interest in anything that like they have zero interest in what we're really talking about. And so I've been learning something very valuable because before it was kind of like you're either or, and there wasn't much of a spectrum in my mind, but I've been learning a lot about that spectrum of allies, just, uh, and you can apply that to anything, right? Like the spectrum of people, you have your very passive opponents, and then you have your very active opponents. And I didn't really have a good sense of who was which one, and I would just go in on all of the discussions all the time. But it's a distraction, and it takes away from, yes, my mental health, my my time, and my energy. But I am particularly keen on investing in the things that are actually going to create change. And so determining who are those people who are the active opponents and just leaving them alone. They're going to be there to troll. They're going to be there to say incendiary things. And they're going to be there and require a lot of labor for me because I've noticed with those people in particular, they love to come into my DMs. They love to, you know, ask me, so what's your opinion on this? And let's talk about it for hours. And I used to do that. And I'm not doing that anymore because what I want to focus on is what is the point? You know, everybody's getting distracted at this point in um, some of my circles with the conversation around BLM and Marxism, right? And Corey, you and I were talking about this the other day. I'm done with distractions. You know, like if we're going to have to sit to, to just enter into the movement for black life and a conversation over why this is important, why this matters, why it's essential, if we're going to take that and have to get an education on what critical race theory is and study up on Marxism just to be able to intelligently debate people who aren't actually willing to do that work themselves that is a waste of time and it's a distraction. And so I really feel like right now we're in a season of great upheaval and a lot of confusion and distraction. So what I'm trying to do is sit back and discern what is the fight for and how do we stay focused on that? How do we put our time, energy, resources, money, volunteer, boots on the ground, whatever that might look like for people, how do we make sure we are doing it to continue this movement toward collaboration, right? Mm -hmm. And anything that distracts from that, I am finally like, I'm done. You know, it's like I got caught up in this idea and this ethic. I mean, I really held an ethic that we should be able to sit at the table have these debates and discussions, talk about all of the things, consider all of the points and all of the thoughts. And I was very naive in that. And I've learned a lot now. So I'm finally a little sharper. But even that, that can be hard to discern. So I mean, I could go on and on. This is a whole, <laughs> this is a whole conversation. That's kind of where I'm at with things right now. Yeah, and I think I was, I'm, I'm with you both on that. And I, I used to feel the same way as a reconciler that you know, we are supposed to be trying to figure out a way of of not being divisive. And so in, uh, avoiding this whole divisive thing, you start to try, you, you really water down your truth. Um, and you only say the things that allows people to feel good after you said it. And, 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 and I just don't think that, you know, to both of, to what you've both been saying, that we are in a season where any of us can afford to not speak our truth. 
and to not share the things that we think are important um, in the way we feel them. You know, exactly the way I feel it, I think I should say it. And, and, and it's, it's, um, it's not an easy road forward, but I guess it's like you said, for our collaboration, this is the road we have to take. Do you have anything else you want to say, by the way, as we're here on this very casual Thursday afternoon? Um, I know, Tina, I know you've got some stuff to take care of here shortly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tina. Do you want me to tell everybody or no? You can edit that. Don't you know this? I do very little editing of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'll keep it to myself. <laughs> I got something. I have things to do that, that, that folks who live in Jamaica do. Mm-hmm. And in California and Colorado. And in California, yeah. That's exactly right. Forget where else. There's a couple other states where they do it also. A few. Yeah. I guess, I guess, like, one of my thoughts just with the trajectory of the conversation and something that we talk a lot about outside of this podcast space is, you know, like, for me, again, focusing, but also how do we connect and how do we refill And how do we experience joy? And this is something that Tina started on the podcast at the beginning of the year is sharing a joy moment and really starting to explore this experience of joy in movement work. And I think that was something for us, and we've talked about it on the show, but something that we experienced for the listeners who don't know, we all met in California in January, it feels like a decade ago at this point with COVID, because it was like the end of January. Year? Whoa, that's that's right. right. Yeah, and, and when we met and spent time together, and I know like for Tina and I, it was just this absolute like joy to be with people with shared passions and goals and ideas. And the thing I find is at least in my circle, I'm not, there aren't many of me around, you know, there aren't many of my husband around. Like when we find each other, we're like, oh, you know, don't let go. Cause <laughs> the rest of the people are just like, oh, would you shut up and stop talking about that and other thing and you know, whatever. But I think like I, the idea of just experiencing joy and connection within these movements is really something that I'm exploring and have been exploring more. And if we're going to be in this for the marathon run, you know, versus the sprint, how do we maintain sanity? How do we maintain solidarity? How do we maintain, you know, all of these things? Um, So that's just something that's on my mind. Yeah. I mean, to that point, um, Tina, I I just, you know, just knowing you these last, it feels like a couple years, but I think it's only been maybe not even a year yet. Um, you just uh, have like joy a lot, you know. Uh, I've seen you angry, I've seen you sad, um, but majority of the time that I see you, you just, you know, you have joy, and it's not because everything's going well. And I just, I'm, I'm curious where, if you can identify that, how that is, where that comes from, why that is. What is what is what's a practice that you have that that keeps uh, keeps you running into joy and and keeping it 
as a part of your centering. Mm. Well, first, that's a beautiful reflection. It really makes me feel I'm, I'm grateful for that. So thank you for reflecting back to me that that joy that you see in me. And I also want to um, just speak to you referencing that you have seen me angry and you have seen me sad. And I have come to a place where I am prioritizing my joy and my pleasure. And that is all that, that, and, and that decision to prioritize it. I know what it feels like to I, I, I will I will just simply say that I will say that that I like you said I can, everything isn't perfect but I get to choose joy and follow my joy and that's that has been what has been saving me I love that prioritizing my joy way better than choosing joy because I've heard choosing joy before right mm -hmm. but prioritizing is a whole nother ball game it's like saying that yeah. it's the most important thing. The most important part of my day today is to choose, is to find joy, find something that bring, brings me pleasure, find something that 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 gives me energy, that gives me life, instead of allow, instead of waiting for it, like waiting for it to show up so I can choose it. To prioritize it is to say, like when when I wake up in the morning and my feet touch the ground, my first thought is. Where am I going to find joy today? Can I share with you one of my favorite quotes? No. Please. Let... <laughs> May I please? Of course you can. So I, I came across this uh, quote by Audre Lorde a couple of years ago, and it has been a theme for me. And that quote is, once we recognize what it is we are feeling, once we can recognize that we can feel deeply, love deeply, can feel joy, then we will demand that all parts of our lives produce that mm. kind of joy. And when I heard that quote, I decided that from now on, I'm going to demand that all parts of my life produces joy. Mm. Mm. And that's why I'm in Jamaica today. Mm. Yeah. Man, that's a whole nother conversation, full-on conversation, whole-ass conversation that we cannot have now because we've reached the end of our time. Well, we can just do a series, Corey. Come on. We could do a series. Or we, could, we could do the rest of this conversation on the Speaking of Racism podcast. I haven't actually even been Ooh. on there since you've both been hosts, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well you're on the list. <laughs> you're, on, you're on the list, and you're also on the advisory board, so we would like to officially. I need to start coming to those meetings. You need to stop having him on Saturdays so I can come to them. We can do some weekday meetings for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. This is me inviting myself onto your podcast. We um, are we are inviting you as well. But you've been invited and yeah. you already know that. But we, right. we, yeah. we're, we we're family. Yes. Yeah, we're family. All right. Well, thank you guys for making the time to do this today. It's, I'm I always enjoy spending time with you and this time I just recorded it. So we'll see what we pull out of this to for, let people listen to. Sounds good. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Corey. Thank you guys for uh, listening to this podcast for this conversation with my sisters, Jen and Tina. Um, thank you to all of you who subscribe to rate, review the podcast. I appreciate it. Again, if you've not yet rated or reviewed it, 
I, I don't even know what you're doing here. It's not it's not a hard thing to do. Just go over and do it right now. Um, and if you are part of the Patreon community, I want to give a special thanks to you. Thank you for all of your support and being a part of that really special community. Uh, I'd like to thank Comfort Fit for the music. The song you're listening to, again, is called Sorry. And thank you to all of you for helping us to contend for a better world, one conversation at a time. 